This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 7, Episode 11 of Commentary Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I am John. And today is the second part of our series on J.J. Abrams as a producer, where we are going to look at the second movie he produced, The Suburbans. Yes, The Suburbans, a uh, cinematic masterpiece from, what is it, 1999? It is, is from 1999, yeah. uh, October 29th, 1999. To put this into historical perspective, because I just did a whole thing of 1999 where we looked at every single week. That's right. This came out the same week as uh, House on Haunted Hill, which is actually a very good movie. And it, the, the, the week after was The Insider by Michael Mann. No kidding. Yes. And wow. the month of October saw many, many a great movie, uh, well, probably most notably Fight Club. Yes, I was going to say, wasn't Fight Club out in October of that year? That, yeah. yeah. That, was, uh, <laughs> that was a special month. <laughs> that was a special year, yeah. you know? And, and yeah. this, is, this is another piece of that puzzle, which is uh, great. You know, I mean, like we were talking about last week, I, you know. I'd never seen this movie, and I've seen almost every movie from 1999. Like, you know, we did a whole year-long thing on it. So, yeah. Um, it was directed by Donald Lardner Ward, who uh, also co-wrote it and is the the lead in the movie, I would say. His co-writer was Tony uh, Guma, I guess is how you pronounce it. I would think Guma. Guma? Okay. Guma. Guma. Yeah. Uh, he is uh, also in, in this movie, and he seems to be friends with J.J. Abrams because he's in almost all of J.J.'s movies. He's the bartender in uh, Star Trek 09. I, I, I think it, I, I would have to assume he's the guy who's like, try the slusho mix, you know, to, to yeah. uh, uh, Uhura. He's also a Niberian at the beginning of... Um, Star Trek Into Darkness. Yes, and he's Sergeant Walters in Super 8. Yeah, whatever that means. I Did, don't... You, you saw Super 8? Sure. Do he's you one of the cops. Oh, no, wait, no, not one of the Walters cops. Is? Uh, he would have been one of the military guys at the end. Yeah, there's like military yeah. and cops all over that thing. Yeah, I have no idea who he was. But he's <laughs> he's in it, you know, so he's he's obviously, I'm, I'm guessing, friends with, with J.J., which is why, you know, J.J. did this, I'm assuming. Who knows? J.J. actually uses the name J.J. Abrams as his credit here, you know? So, progress, you see. He's he's coming into his own. He, right, he's creating his identity now. <laughs> and in addition to Ward and Guma, there's uh, a number of fairly noteworthy actors uh, from the time period, including uh, Craig Bierko, who I always remember him from Cinderella Man. He's like the big. Oh, that's right. He was in Cinderella Man. Wait, yeah. was he? Was that him? He was like the other boxer, who's okay. not Russell Crowe, right? Oh yeah, um, dad of um, Beverly Hillbillies. He was uh, Jethro's dad. Was uh, Max? Oh, gosh, I, I lost. I've lost the name. 
Um, anyway, yeah, yeah no, that he was the real life. The that boxer was um, the father in real life of the guy who played Jethro Bodine oh, really? on Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah, wow, you learn something new every day. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Um, this movie also features um, Amy Brenneman, right? Who was on that show? Was it called Judging Amy? Or yeah, was that some other show. No, I remember a show called Judging Amy, and her name is Amy. Therefore, I will say you're correct. And that's the same year as as this, by the way. the The first season of of Judging Amy was the well, same year as. Yeah, and she was in Heat. She yeah, she was uh, the in, love interest for uh, Robert De Niro. Yeah, she's been in a lot of things. Um, yeah, Private Practice more recently. She's in The Leftovers, the new uh, um, Damon Lindelof show, and and Daylight, the Sylvester Stallone movie. Did you ever see Daylight? No. Did you? Yes, I did. In the movie theater, no less. <laughs> How was it? It wasn't good. I remember seeing the trailers for Daylight and uh, thinking, I'm, I'm uh, not going to watch that. Oh, gosh. Uh, uh, Viggo Mor- Mortensen is in that as well. He plays My a uh, cocky mountain climber who uh, gets trapped <laughs> in the cave-in and uh, tries to cockily mountain climb out of the tunnel and uh, then gets crushed by a bunch of rocks that are better than he is. Ah. It really daylight was really a movie that was obviously born and sort of died in the concept stage where it was like, what if these guys were in the Lincoln Tunnel and they were getting away from the cops and they triggered some big explosion with their car wreck that caused a cave in? And that's about <laughs> that's about it. And they were like, sure, let's make a movie about that. Yeah, what would happen? We don't yeah. know. And so it'd long be weird, as, though, right? Well, Wouldn't I mean, it be weird? So long as Sylvester Stallone is there, everybody's fine. Except yeah. for people who are cocky mountain climbers, because they will always get killed by rocks. Yeah, yeah, that's just the way it works, right? Yes. Yep. Almost happened to Captain Kirk. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you're right. If Spock hadn't been there. Yeah. Yeah. The other two rather noteworthy people who are in this, one is, I mean, the, the biggest star, the person who would go on to become the biggest star is Will Ferrell. Yeah. Yes, Will Ferrell before he was really well known. Yeah, I got I got to f- figure this is right around the time that he was on Saturday Night Live, right? It had to be. I I don't remember the specific years he was on, but yes, this is right around that time where he was he became sort of like a a, a household name. So I I think this is probably right at the beginning of that arc for him. Yeah, because I remember, like, the first time, not the first time that I had seen him, but the first time I was aware of his existence was when he was in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which was 2001. And, yeah, I mean, at this point, because he was already in, like, uh, Austin Powers and uh, Superstar, you know, th- those were, like, the same years as as yeah. the Suburbans. So, yeah, he had to be... Um, which is kind of weird because the way that he's used and everything, it seems like he is much smaller, much, you know, it's much earlier in his career because you would think that if a movie of this size with these people in it were to get Will Ferrell, who even if he wasn't like a superstar at the time, he was still someone who was making, you know, big blockbuster movies, even if he was, you know, the the character actor in that, that yeah. you give him, like, a big, meaty role. Well, no, but see, the thing is, this is where, uh, like, I think Will Ferrell did it right, 
getting into Hollywood is how many Saturday Night Live people have you seen headline a movie and it completely flames out. And the thing is, he was one of the leads in Night at the Ro- Roxbury because he was... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was... But that, I mean, that movie, like, as I recall, nobody went to go see it because everybody was like, no, 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 thank you. It's another Saturday Night Live skit, you know, gone too big. Yeah. But... um, And that was before this. Yeah, but, like, overall, he did it pretty smart because he did small roles like this. He sort of, like, built his rep... Before he, because the big breakout really for him, I think, film wise, was old school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, uh, you know, so I think that this this sort of is just on the way. I don't think that he foresaw this movie turning out the way that it did. <laughs> Otherwise, he may have possibly not done it, but that's okay. You never know who he's friends with, you know, who he owed a favor. True. And that's, that's, quite possibly what was going on here um the other uh lead in this movie who uh, was really big at the time in particular um was jennifer love hewitt yes uh and and she she was which is crazy because like you know i was like looking at i, I mean because i remember you know, i mean that was when jennifer love hewitt was big she was on party of five and everything like that and she had just done i know what you did last summer and everything and I was like, you know, she's about my age, you know, and I'm thinking about when this movie was made and everything. And sure enough, she was like 18 or 19 years old when she shot this thing. Yeah, she looks it. You think so? Really? Yeah. Because, I mean, she's playing older, right? Um, I mean, she's playing like 25 or something like that. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I guess yes, I, mean, I didn't to me, look at her and say she was 18, but I was willing to give her maybe 22. Okay. Like All right. See. Yeah. See. To me, I was like, "What? What? She's she's that young? That's crazy." You know, I don't know. I thought it was crazy, and but all these other people are like uh, thirty-five something in that area, and you know, I I found it to be really strange because now I'm like thirty-five, right? And this is about. I mean, I guess we're kind of jumping the gun, or maybe we're just getting into what this movie's about. It's about this uh, one-hit wonder from like the early 80s who when they were like 18 19 years old whatever they were big and now 17 years later they are not at all big no one knows who they are no one cares whatever they were literally like a one hit wonder in like the most traditional sense of the term you know what i mean yeah and Jennifer Love Hewitt is a an up and coming music executive who goes to them and says, hey, you know, 80s revival, you know, everything 80s is coming back. You guys are quintessential 80s. We want to make you big again. We want to stage a comeback. You know, this could work. This could be really good. And all of these, you know, mid-30 guys who are like, had never done this, you know, before or haven't done this in like 15, you know, 20 years are now you know, sort of like uh, given that that opportunity again, and all of them are like, "Do we really want to do this? Is this does this make sense?" And there's a weird thing which is going on, at least for me personally, where like, <laughs> like I'm the age of these characters, and when this movie came out, I was the age of the characters when they were big. So like, there's this one scene in particular. <laughs> 
which really kind of made me feel really freaking old. When um, Jennifer Love Hewitt is like introducing herself to them and she's like, I remember you guys. You guys were the bomb. And the one, one of the, the, the band members is like, oh, I'm sorry. And she's like, no, that's a good thing. And what it was trying to show was like, the bomb is the hip lingo, which all the cool kids use. And these 35-year-old guys have no idea what she's talking about. But now I'm 35, and I regularly use the term the bomb. And all of these people who are like 18 years old look at me like that guy looked at her. Yes. I'm I, sorry. I just need no. To... <laughs> I the thing is, I that 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 entire that entire story was more entertaining than this entire film. Okay, you know, I, I you know what you've actually just redeemed it and made watching this movie worthwhile because I enjoyed hearing that because I I understand I'm I'm older than you are like I'm using <laughs> terms that you know people have to look up now so you know <laughs> what have you but. Yeah, man. Like, uh, I, I, I get, I, I get what you're saying. If the movie were even passably good, I probably would have hooked into that as well. But this, I mean, you know, I the vibe from. Okay, I want to see if you got the same sort of vibe that I did. I got a okay. vibe from this that, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a mess. Same thing I said about Paul Bearer, but there was very much a vibe to this that they were trying to be sort of um, in the vein of like, so I married an ax murderer where it was just that sort of like weird, you know, not quite real reality where it's like zany, silly stuff happens with the character. You, like, you know, so I married an ax murderer, right? You've seen that. I mean, I haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with it. You haven't it. seen Okay, well, yeah. to me, it's the same sort of vibe where it's like, it's, it's almost like a series of vignettes that's loosely collected into a plot. Mm-hmm. It works very well in So I Married an Axe Murderer. It does not work well here for me. Um, and it's, I, I mean, this is, the, the the track of this movie is pretty amazing because I really, like, there are so many different attempts at a plot. Like, it, I almost wonder, looking at the components of it, if maybe the mistake was having uh, what Donald Lardner Ward? Donald Donald Lardner Ward. Yeah, I <laughs> I almost wonder if another director could have turned this into something, because as it is, this is this thing's kind of a mess, you know. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's kind of a mess, and I I do think that there are certainly problems, you know, with it. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna say that this is a good movie. Okay, it's not. But I, I definitely did not hate it as much as you did. You know, there were, um, I thought, a n- numerous redeeming qualities to it. I thought that the premise was kind of fun. And, you know, I, I did uh, appreciate some of the performances, not not the main guys, honestly, but like people like, you know, um, well, even Will Ferrell was kind of weak. But there's like a, a, a few scenes with Ben and Jerry Stiller together okay but see that's that's ben and jerry stiller being ben and jerry stiller yeah you can tell like like, they didn't have a script they they just just walked in and and did their thing and then left but i i like that i i I like that and there was some stuff about it which was so like kind of over the top 90s like almost in in like a clueless fashion like ben stiller's hair 
you know, for example, and his yeah. weird colored glasses and stuff like that. And like just things like that. I was like, oh, you know, I kind of like that. You know, I thought that uh, um, Jennifer Love Hewitt or, or J Love, as, as we like to call her back in the 90s, was, <laughs> right. was, was very uh, charming and everything. And, you know, it was one of those things where it's like, you, if you were to describe the premise of this movie, you know, lay it out on paper, I'd be like, oh, I can see how that movie would be good. And I guess it is like the execution, which is a problem, you know. But even with that, I guess I, I almost want to give it a pass because, and part of it is just looking at, you know, the history of this, like the fact that this is basically everyone's first movie, you know, and none of them had, had really done anything before or since. They are one-hit wonders themselves. And I, unlike the last movie that we watched, The Pallbearer, where there seemed to be this sort of like uh, pretentiousness about it, you know, um, this movie feels like it's a group of guys who have wanted to make movies their entire life, and now they're getting a chance to make a movie, and they're having fun doing it. They're they're finally getting to do that thing that they've wanted to do. And the fact that they didn't make a very good movie is kind of disappointing. But, hey, at least they did it. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I'm not willing to give it a break for intent. I like, mean, that's I, fair enough. I'm, I'm know, only going to judge it on the execution. And it's like, I, you know, it, it really is. It is an attempted comedy, but there are so many parts of it that are mirthless. Yeah. Where it's just yeah. like I didn't even crack a smile. Like the whole sure. the whole plot with Amy Brenneman's character, where I mean she's she's almost manic in her indecision as to whether she wants to be devoted to, you know the uh, Donald Lardner Ward who apparently she finds, you know relentlessly attractive and constantly <laughs> wants to have sex with him, but at the same time is ready to like walk out and leave him, because uh, it, like a twenty something batted her eyes at him, you know it's yeah. like what what the hell he's giving you no re. That this is out of nowhere, and like that's just part of the thing where it's like I think that a different director would have caught that and been like, "Eh, let's tone this down a bit here because this feels out of place," and so it loses any sort of its comic vibe because it's so uh, rote. It's like, oh well, she has to have a problem with him doing this thing, mm -hmm. right? And and you know, Will, like you said, Will Ferrell's disappointing, but like I can at least tell that he's trying. He's trying really hard with that quirky character, but again, he tries too hard with the whole washing the car bit. See, like I, I feel like with Will Ferrell, like he he had like a bit in mind, and he fully committed to it, and he was fully committing to something which did not work at all. You know, okay. and part okay. of it might be the writing, but I think a big part of it is his performance. And I mean, there are times where like. I've loved Will Ferrell and things. There are times where I think that he's just, you know, absolutely at the top of his game in terms of comedy. But there are other times where, like, he, he, and it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. It's not like he's all over the place with something. Like, he is, like, laser focused in on a certain performance, like, doing it in a certain way. And he commits to that which you got to give him credit for, but lots of times I think he's committing to something which doesn't work. You know, like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, I think he's the weak link in that movie. 
and uh, you know this. A lot of weak he, links in that movie, though. All right, you know what? I love Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back for. I mean, that is like. <laughs> I don't know. Jay Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back is one it's of those better things than this. Where, I'll give you that. It, it is definitely better than this. I mean, I I I, I can't see the the forest through the trees when it comes to to jay and silent bob strike back and and, you know a big reason for that is because it's like clerks was a movie like this you know and it's like it i mean in terms of scale in terms of substance everything you know i mean not in terms of quality but in terms of scale and substance and it would be like if this movie was good enough that it took off and then there were more movies made and then all of a sudden there was like a basically giant Avengers style, almost fan film of the Suburbans, you know, and all of their supporting characters and all of the characters who are in all of the Suburban sequels. And it's like, really? Like, I feel like my entire life has been leading up to Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, you know? It's like a movie which is a giant in-joke directed specifically at me and no one else is going to get it but I'm going to get it and I think it's really funny aside from the Will Ferrell stuff does that make sense? yes it does <laughs> it makes sense I tracked with you I, I, right. fo- I followed your, your, your line there yeah yeah. okay so uh, you know but yes I mean there. I mean like I thought Amy, Amy Brenneman was good in it you know and and uh, I don't, I don't, but there was a lot of stuff in there where it's like, what's going on? It was cool to see, like, I mean, Dick Clark. Like, how do they get Dick Clark? That, like, that's got to be JJ. Like, JJ and right. his dad, you know? Because JJ's dad is a big time well, producer. I know, but you, you know, and you've also got, uh, you know, JJ is, he's been working since, like, regarding, when did Regarding Henry come out? It was late 80s, right? Yeah, like 87 or something. He was so young. He was I, like 22 or 23 when he wrote that thing. I guarantee you that he leveraged a lot of relationships to help yeah. this movie out. I think that even he had aspirations for this to be more than it turned out to be. Yeah. I mean, Kurt Loder, I can understand getting Kurt Loder. You know, he's in everything. He's like literally in everything. Well, he was the, he was the token in the nineties, that was how you established that it was a real world band was if you had Kurt Loder talking about it, it's like, Oh, well there you go. And if Kurt Loder was unavailable, you'd have a Tabitha Sorensen bit on there. And that was the way that you established. Oh, I understand. They are the people that tell me the truth from MTV. And yeah, uh, when, when it got into the aughts, they had Carson Daly. Like he's the guy who they got for, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Just Pussycats. Yeah. Yeah. Which is perfect, by the way, for that movie. It's absolutely perfect. You've been Have you trying seen to get Josie me to watch that movie for yet? years, Mike, and it's not going to happen. Okay, it's <laughs> I'm never going to happen. Now I know, no. I know that I'm, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm not one to talk because I've still got my copy of Tombstone sitting here, which I haven't had a chance to watch yet. That is shame which, on you. Which That's I will even the watch. Director's cut, man. Come on, I, I, and I will totally watch it. I, I promise you. <laughs> I promise you. But. If there's one movie, like I know I tell you to watch a lot of movies, right? But if there's, if I could pick just one movie for you to watch, it would be Josie and the Pussycats. And if I don't like it, see, the, this is this is how I like to enter these things. If I don't like it, what do I get to force on you? <laughs> like, do I have to make you drink something foul or something? Or, I, you know, I, I think maybe 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 you know uh, w- having me watch a movie of of your choice would be you know. Yeah, reasonable. but see, that's always a pleasure, Mike. 
I mean, come on. I'm never no. wrong about books or movies. Okay. All right. Never, you ever. say so. Now, I, I you know what? A few times on this show, but. <laughs> oh, books and movies. Wait, how many books have I read on your recommendation that have turned out to be crap? You know, None. I can think of zero. I can think of three it's off the top of my head. Big zero, Mike. All of the okay. books that you've read on my recommendation have been fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but but I mean, here's the thing: is it's like. I mean, and this is this is part of it. It, it, and I guess kind of getting back to like what I was saying before, like the energy that this movie has, you know, and this sort of like idea of like we're getting away with something, you know, is kind of cool. Like you see a joy in the process, like when when you see not not people like Kurt Loder, who, by the way, did you know that Kurt Loder is 70 years old? I did not know he was 70 years old, but I can tell you that I thoroughly enjoy reading his film reviews now. He, he writes is, film reviews? He writes uh, for Reason.com. And he actually, oh. he released a book that was um, uh, really good. It was called The Good, The Bad, and The God Awful. And oh. uh, it, it was a collection of his film reviews, wherein, surprisingly, he trashed The Dark Knight in it. And it was one of the few times I actually reached out to him and I on Twitter, and I was like, hey, Mr. Loader, absolutely love the book, but you are so wrong about The Dark Knight that it's embarrassing. And he wound up despising Dark Knight Rises. And so his <laughs> reply was, well, after this last one, I realized that I how wrong I was. And I was like, well, <laughs> all right, 50-50 there. Sure. Uh, wow. I, I, yeah. I, I, love, I love both of those movies. Oh, like, so do, yeah, trust me, so do I. Yeah. Yeah. Dark Knight Rises. I mean, I, I I still think that that's probably the best movie of the decade so far. Uh, you know what? I, I I have trouble going between Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Dark Knight Rises emotionally has um tremendous impact, but then again, the end of Dark Knight. Anyway, yeah, I definitely I, think I, that Dark it, Knight is better than Rises, but I think they're both great. I you know what? I I would say that they're both in the conversation. I mean. You know, along and with Batman Begins, I mean, come yeah, on. yeah, which uh, which sadly gets overlooked a lot because yeah. Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises like built on that, and it's like you go back to Batman Begins, and it really is, you know what? And you know what? Uh, actually, just I know this is a total side note, but like with Batman hmm. Begins, I had a similar sort of experience because um, I've been thinking about it. Like with with Force Awakens, I came out lukewarm, and I've started coming around to it and started liking it more and more, mm-hmm. and um. Same thing happened with Batman Begins. I walked out of it. I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, I was very ambivalent after the first viewing, and it took a couple of viewings for me to like be like, wow, this is actually really, really good. I was like, yeah. I didn't know superhero movies could be this good. <laughs> yeah, no, Batman Begins, I was, you know, fully in love with it the first time I saw it. I'm like, this is the Batman movie I was saying they should make when I was 15. You know, um, yeah, I loved it. I loved it. But all all that to say, Kurt Loder, um, yeah, it, you know he's, he, he's he's obviously just getting a paycheck for the appearance. So sure, and he does it all the time. I mean, like if you look at the list of movies that Kurt Loder is in as himself, it's insane. It's insanely long, but uh, and varied. You know, like he's in Book of Shadows, Blair Witch Two as himself. So oh, that's right. See, I don't remember. I that, will say but... that the Suburbans is better than Blair Witch Two. Yes, it is. But that's it is definitely yeah. yes. 
Mm-hmm. But but there is, I mean, I don't know, there is this sort of like excitement and joy of filmmaking, which I can see in the making of this movie, which makes me at least appreciate the fact that they had fun while doing it. So, you know. I, you know, I'll, I'll give you that point because that's always been the uh, the perspective I come at when I watch uh, old uh, black exploitation movies from the seventies. Yeah, is a great yeah. number of them are terrible, mm-hmm. but you you get that vibe where it's yeah. like everybody's just there having a great time. It's like, how can you possibly hate it? It's just so much fun. I, I get what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, I and disagree I mean, I, on this though. <laughs> and I don't think that. I mean, is it a bad movie? Yeah. But I don't think that it's like horrendously bad, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, last night The Revenant won, you know, Best Picture at the Golden Globes. This movie is better than The Revenant. Okay, see, <laughs> you're the first negative opinion of The Revenant that I have heard up to this. Really? Point. Yep. Oh man, I've heard nothing but love for The Revenant. That's weird. That is that is weird. We'll have like to... I, I went I went to see that movie with Brandon, and we came out. And we're just like, yeah, movies, right? It's crazy. Now, see, mm-hmm. I feel the need to go see The Revenant now. I, I feel I feel like the greatest thing about being on this podcast with you is I feel like we've gotten to know each other to the point where it's like when when one of us has an opinion, it's like it's it instantly piques my interest where it's like, OK, wait a minute. This is this is peeling the onion right here, figuring out mm-hmm. what, what's going on. And it's that's interesting. OK. Because if I have the same reaction as you, then I'm going to... Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's got yes. bears and guns. How could it be bad? It's got, it's got bears. It's got guns. I will say, if you want to see what it's really like when someone slices open a tauntaun to get inside to stay warm, like in the real world... Yeah. That Like, that was the best part of the movie. I'm like, really? Han Solo made it look so easy. <laughs> this is what happens? This is terrifying. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> yeah, it's not pleasant when you go hunting, man. It really isn't. But, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, whatever. The Revenant. If if that beats basically anything else that's going to get nominated, I'm going to be very, very upset. And it, it might, and that's terrifying. But whatever. What can you do? Anyway, what were we talking about? Um, obviously the Suburbans. Oh yes, which the is Suburbans. that 1999 tour de force uh, produced by J.J. Abrams. Now, see, th- this was actually something at the end of it that I feel that this movie um, really solidified an opinion that I have, um, mm-hmm. which is especially with producing in Hollywood that it's not whether your movie is even successful or good. It's just that you get the experience under your belt. Like there's yeah. almost like a failing upward. Like if I, I feel as if, like I I don't have a one to one with it. But let's say okay, let's say that I um, spearheaded two projects, like two site launches, right? Mm-hmm. And they turned out the way the pallbearer and the suburbans did. I would brush up my resume and, and expect <laughs> to get fired. But instead, J.J. Abrams is able to continue just going on and producing. So. Which is not a knock on him. I'm not saying he's a bad person because of it, but it's like you've seen that because the person then winds up becoming an accomplished director or producer or, or even writer or whatever. And so it's like it's it's almost like the failures, quote unquote, don't matter in Hollywood. It's just about getting the experience. And so that's sort of like the lesson 
that I feel was solidified for me by watching this. Well, I mean, let's get into this because it is rather interesting here. And I think that, um, you know, this is kind of why we're doing this, you know, and, and it, it, these first two movies and, and their placement in J.J. Abrams' career as a producer, right? I think what we're seeing is I mean, we're, we're, we're missing some things, right? Because like you're talking about, you know, getting the experience, failing upwards or whatever. And I, I can see all that. But I think there are some lurking variables like Armageddon, you know, which is a movie which came out a year before this, which J.J. wrote, right? huge blockbuster Michael Bay are you yeah. kidding me and the right around this time it would also be when he was writing his Superman movie which apparently everyone loved right sort of I guess some um, people I haven't read the whole script that's out there but I wouldn't have loved the movie <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I guess there are some people who who didn't who, who didn't like it, but um, you know, I, the the thing about it is like, I get the impression that he was building his resume, like legitimately. I mean, you start off with regarding Henry as you know your your screenplay, and you've got like Mike Nichols directing your first movie starring Harrison Ford, and it's like what you know, and then you know he's he's building his career he's building his career and what i see is with these first two movies just based on like who's in them and stuff is it's not like he's like i want to be a producer this is going to be great it's more like my friends want to make a movie and i happen to have enough clout in this industry where i can help them get it made you know and it fails on its own terms. I mean, I don't see much of JJ in either the pallbearer or the suburbans. That's I true. see it as these being like their own little things. And he's doing really what a producer should do, which is allow the filmmakers to make their movie. He's, he's giving them what they need to make their movie. And I think it's going to be really interesting starting next week when we see the first bad robot production and all of them from here on out are going to be bad robot productions they're going to be like legitimate business ventures by jj abrams the first one with a script by jj abrams and i don't know it almost feels like to me these two are just sort of like side things and sort of like little whatevers and we could almost i mean you know realistically we could have just thrown out these two these two movies right oh but then what I, whatever would i have watched mike i mean come on seriously i know right i don't know I what know. i would have done with myself for the collective three hours that this cost me i would Nothing have never while. not at all i would have never suggested throwing out these two movies because i think it's part of the overall tapestry you know it is part of the thing and and seeing you know different sides of him and seeing the type of person that he is where he's like hey friend you want me to help you make your movie? Well, I will help you make your movie, which I think we are going to see with the bad robot stuff, too. It's just like in that case, it's like, well, I will help you make your movie so long as your movie has, you know, a, a monster designed by Neville Page in it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so <laughs> see, the thing is, now I'm thinking, boy, the Suburban, they just had a monster in it. You know, that'd be that'd awesome, be awesome, right? Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Will Ferrell could have voiced him. Yeah, or done the that. motion capture, whatever. Imagine, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, imagine yeah. A, a, a an '80s band where a monster has to fill in for somebody. That'd be cool. That'd be go. cool. Call up J.J. Abrams; he'll produce it for me. <laughs> so, so I'm glad that we watched these two movies. I, I really am, even though you know neither of them was tremendously great. And I'm I'm definitely really excited to see where we go from here. I mean, I, I I've seen Joyride before, but it hasn't been since well, actually before the movie came out. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see what that is. And, and then the other ones are, well, I mean, in my opinion, very solid and very different from each other in a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, yeah. Two of them I've seen, one of them I have not, but the two that I've seen are pretty darn good. Yeah. They they were good entertainments. So it's exciting. I don't know to me anyway. I don't know. And I think that we will have a lot more to talk about and we will see a lot more of JJ's stamp in the next in the next few weeks so yeah i think you're right yeah 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 it's interesting i don't know you know it's it's one like producer it's it's such like what does it mean you know that's i guess one of the things we're trying to figure out and lots of time it can mean anything and speaking of producers i just feel the need to to bring this up because jj was not the only producer on this movie there were three other people and they're all noteworthy for um different reasons like pretty big reasons um one one of the producers was liana creel who she's produced a number of movies and has written and directed some stuff as well but the thing that i know her from is she played a a character in an arc or like half a season or something like that of saved by the bell i I remember her from that show okay i remember leah remini but what did she play she was like another, you know, girl at the school who, whatever. I don't remember the exact storyline, but when I saw the picture, I'm like, "Oh yeah, her." I'm gonna be totally and, obsessed with figuring this out now. Yep, totally obsessed yep. with it. Uh, it's Saved by the Bell. It's it's amazing, right? I love Saved by the Bell. I just I have my right here. Uh, <laughs> I got my um my Kelly Kapowski <laughs> pop vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> Say by the bell is great. <laughs> that is a categorically false statement. Oh, it's amazing though. Scientifically proven. <laughs> so so she was one of the producers. Another producer is this guy, uh Brad Crevoy. I could be pronouncing his name wrong. And he's produced a bajillion movies. He's kind of known for like buying projects and getting them made or whatever, or finding projects and, you know, taking them to completion or release or whatever. Um, he produced Dumb and Dumber. And One of Kingpin, the finest comedies in Which history. I've never seen. You've never I've seen never. Dumb and... It's, You're kidding looks, me. You've never seen the stupid. original Dumb and... It, it is stupid, but it's fantastic. <laughs> it it's, is great. You know, the only Farrelly Brothers movie I've seen that I actually like is uh, Fever Pitch. And I think that's because they basically just came in at the last minute and directed it without like really doing much to the script. Yeah, but Beyond Providence, wasn't that theirs? Because that was Outside about... Providence, Outside Providence, yeah. Outside Providence, yeah. That was good. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Okay, see, how can you judge their movies without having seen them? Dumb and Dumber is fantastic. I've, I've seen a lot of their movies, which I haven't liked. You know what I mean? I've seen uh, There's Something About Mary. That definitely got overhyped. I'll, I will give you that. It's not It's not their best work. And uh, Shallow Hal. 
I think I saw. Oh, I liked Shallow Hal. That was no. I mean, not great. I'm not like raving about it, but there were there were good moments in it. All right, whatever. And it had a good message. Okay. All right. Well, well, well. This guy he produced Dumb and Dumber, and he also produced Kingpin. So there you go. In addition to a million other things, Kingpin. I haven't also seen Kingpin funny. either. I I wanted. I do want to see Kingpin, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, but see the thing. I I will qualify that by definitely saying that Woody Harrelson. Like mm-hmm. I, when he's doing comedy, he is just always great. I, yeah, I love watching him in comedies, and he's really good in Kingpin. Yeah, yeah and Bill I Murray's in it too. Well, that's always good. Yeah, Bill Murray's very good in it. Yeah, of course. And and the third producer, aside from J.J. Abrams, was this guy Michael Burns, who he like a year after this movie came out, he went on to basically create Lionsgate, like turn it into the thing that it is today. He he and like another guy basically built it from the ground up. And now, I mean, they're, I mean, they made the freaking Hunger Games. It's a huge studio. Back yeah. then it had like the, like I remember they released Dogma this, this year and they had their trailers for all their hot new, they knew that Dogma was such a big movie for them that they put three trailers attached to the front of that movie. It was for Shadow of the Vampire, um, American Psycho, and Jesus's Son, I think. I saw two of those three. I've seen all three. Um, Nothing's going to yeah. top American Psycho. Just don't even bother. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, American Psycho is fine. Jesus' Son is pretty good, too. Shadow of the Vampire was extremely disappointing. It was very mediocre. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that was like their big thing. Now they're making freaking Hunger Games movies. Like the dude well, built a major studio. Well, he was apparently also a producer on, uh, as I'm looking at it here, on uh, The Devil's Rejects, which is possibly the singularly most disturbing movie I've seen in the last 20 years. Have yeah. you ever seen it? No, Rob Zombie, right? It's the last, yeah. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses is scary in the sense that like the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre was, where it's like just shock value and like gross you out type stuff. Devil's mm-hmm. Rejects is like a philosophically disturbing film. Like mm. it is, it, it will, sh- it shook me to my core. Like it, it was that type of movie where like at the end of it, I was like, that was so masterfully done. And I never want to watch this again because it's going to haunt my dreams forever. I, I, I like Rob Zombie. I think he's really good. Um, his Halloween movies were total crap though. I, I love his first one. No, you don't. I think I think that is better than uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. Oh God! I'm going to say that right now. You did not just no. Yeah, no. yeah, no, no. It's no, true. You're I'm sorry. Me. I refuse to believe. The truth no. hurts. You just trolled. No, me. what? No, because no, 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 no. <laughs> like I went into it. No. Like I went into it, and they're like, you know, because I heard like, oh, they they spend a lot more time with Michael Myers's origin, and I'm like, that sounds terrible. You know, why would you do something like that? And then I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh wow, this actually works really well. I'm, I, I'm shocked. It's the the origin stuff is not the problem with that movie. Um, it had me up to about the halfway point. I was will I was willing to to go with it up until about the halfway point. Well, the halfway um, point is where it, it, it I think it becomes its most interesting because it no. basically it crams the first movie mm-hmm. into like half of the runtime, which I thought was really interesting because that original movie has some serious pacing issues. And and crazy this, talk, uh, absolute crazy talk. <laughs> 
I'm just saying. I mean, the, yes, Halloween 2 is terrible. I will agree with you. You know, his Halloween 2 is terrible. But, well, so is John Carpenter's or whoever made that second one. Uh, Rick Rosenthal <laughs> made the second one. Although okay. some of it was sort of, apparently there was almost a uh, Carpenter as Lucas uh, yeah. sort of yeah. vibe on Halloween 2. Right, because he wrote it. And, yeah, I can totally see that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that first Halloween is great. I mean, and, and Rob Zombie just in general, I mean, I, I love his, well, I like his music a lot. I like his music videos a lot. Did you ever see the commercial that he did for like Woolite or something like that? No, I never saw that. It's like, it's like the, the premise was like, you know, don't torture your your clothes don't torture your laundry and it shows it's like shot like a you know kind of a devil's rejects or house of a thousand corpses thing with like a you know leather face type of guy like doing laundry and like you know just putting it through the ringer like he's literally torturing laundry and it's like shot with that you know desaturated you know grainy yeah. it, it's yeah. it's pretty it's pretty crazy you know and it's it, the, the fact that it's for like Laundry detergent. You know? I I'll, I'm just amazed to hear that Sherry Moon Zombie wasn't in it. She probably was. I don't know. She played I get, the laundry. No, yeah, she played the laundry. No, yeah, I, I guess she wasn't in it. But uh, yeah, I, I like Rob Zombie. I like him a lot. No, I, I anyway. To, ho, yeah, I, I'm not even going to start the whole Halloween Halloween two discussion. <laughs> hey, you know, I hey, you know, watch it, watch it again. You'll see. Watch Devil's Rejects. I will. I will. Yeah. I will. Yeah. All right. Well, any final thoughts on the Suburbans? Yep, it's not good. <laughs> and I would say that's an accurate statement, but uh, it has it's it's it can be somewhat fun to watch. You know, it def- definitely has some some good stuff in it. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about the Suburbans today, but that's not all we're talking about here on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. It would be a lot of fun to be able to MST3K an episode like <laughs> Arena, which who doesn't love poking fun at a rock-throwing Gorn? I mean, come on, you know? Can you find a rudimentary lathe? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that on the Babel conference today because Guy Fliegman from Galaxy Quest is the greatest character ever. Earl Grey. This 547 meter long, 32 deck, 502 uh, 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 crew uh, uh, member. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The orb. He requested, you know, a Bajoran officer to serve with him yeah. on purpose, you know. He understands. You make this their own. We can't. I'm glad he did it on purpose. I could see him like accidentally requesting a Batorian officer. <laughs> oh man, I, I checked the wrong box on the form. Damn. <laughs> to the journey, Benjamin and Kira. They would never yeah. touch like that. No, that just would be really unnatural and weird for them. But for Changley and Chakotay, it's very natural. It's very comfortable. It's like slipping into a warm bath, and hopefully Q's not in it. Commentary, Trek Stars. I just finished a book on Audible that was recommended to me by some other people here on the network. Yeah. It's called uh, Weapon of a Jedi. They steered you right, Mike. Nope. The 602 Club. And it's literally like the first page after the introduction, and it says, hey, here's the three factions. The New Republic, they don't 
want to commit to a full-scale war with the uh, First Order, so they allow and back Princess Leia to create the Resistance. And I'm like, oh, okay. That makes total sense. Like, it took me t- one minute to read. Women at Warp. She's the communications officer first. She can be Spock's girlfriend second. So how do you think people would respond if you said, describe who Carol Marcus is after seeing this movie? Uh, she looks nice in her bra. Meta Trex. I looked it up in ornare is the Latin word for to adorn. That's fascinating. So I looked up breca, and it turns out the same spelling, B-R-E-K-K-A, is Old Norse for slope or hillside. And that, listeners, is something you will only get right here on Metatrex. Better living through etymology. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and see what you've been missing elsewhere on the network. Uh, You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, which is my preferred method of podcast listening. Um, TuneIn, SoundCloud, which is also very handy, I have to say. Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Uh, One way that you can help us uh, keep bringing shows to you is uh, by buying some of our stuff. If you go to trek.fm slash store, that'll take you to our Redbubble store where we have a bunch of merchandise where you can get uh, t-shirts and hoodies and... um, I got a I got a, a a Christmas card from Charlene, which was a Trek FM Christmas card. It's just a Trek FM on the front, you know. That's cool. It's pretty crazy. You can get that on Redbubble. You can give them to people for Valentine's Day. You know what? I I'm going to. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and if you just go to trek.fm slash store, that's where you'll find it. You can, you know, mix and match and choose and make your own combos, whatever works for you, and uh, it'll be made and delivered right to your door in time for, for the convention. In, uh, in, you, uh, yeah, Vegas. if you're if you're going to uh if you're going to the convention, you better represent. Yeah. Let people know I'm, about Trek FM. I'm gonna have my Trek FM shirts and my, my Maroon Monster shirts and yeah. Yeah. It's gonna be cool. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. Okay, if you want to contact us, you can fill out the form on trek.fm slash contact, or you can leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can find the network on Twitter at trekfm, or you can find the network on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. Facebook is also where you'll find the Babel Conference, which is our listener forum. Just type the Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and uh, that'll take you there, and then we'll we'll get you going, and then you can uh, talk to all of our other listeners about, uh, well, basically Star Wars. That's all anyone talks about on there. That's not true. They're also talking about From There to Here. Oh, yeah. A lot, actually. 
Yeah, yeah, which is our new show, um, which you can find every day right here on Trek FM, where we do a full rewatch of all 729 episodes of Star Trek over the course of 2016. So be sure to check that out as well. All right. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. John, you have a book for us this week? I sure do, Mike. Uh, This week I have The Day I Shot Cupid. Hello, my name is Jennifer Love Hewitt, and I'm a -a loveaholic. Written by Jennifer Love Hewitt and narrated by Jennifer Love Hewitt. For any woman who has ever bought a self-help book and wondered why she bothered, parenthetically, P.S., now that I know that He's just not that into me. Where do I go from there? Yeah, thanks for that advice. <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt is a self-proclaimed, quote, love-aholic and hopeless romantic. Parenthetically, her middle name is Love, after all. She has been lucky and unlucky in love and lived to tell about it. And she's done it all in the spotlight. Much has been written about her love life. Some true, most made up. And to sell magazines. <laughs> I love J-Love. J-Love is the bomb. Well, I think I've given you something to listen to, Mike. I am totally going to get that book. And uh, since I'm a Trek FM listener, I could get it for free because as a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm and we thank Audible for supporting commentary, Trek stars, and the network. I know what you did last summer. <laughs> Love that movie. Have you seen it? Uh, yeah, I have seen it. The Gorton's Fisherman is really pissed. <laughs> I love that movie so much. Anyway, um, all right. Well, that's it for the Suburbans, and that's it for pre-Bad Robot JJ. Next week, we get the very first Bad Robot movie, along with the script by J.J. Abrams, and that's for a movie called Joyride. 